seriously, that took way too long to explain. <laughs> but anyway. Thankfully, we have the magic of editing. to introduction that's a good introduction to episode 19 wow uh, quite, yeah this is the technically the 20th one of these we've done craziness and what's even crazier is if we play our cards right and get this thing post-produced and made all nice nice it'll be coming out on carl wilson's birthday which is also my birthday. My former boss's birth. Oh, yeah, your birthday too. And it's also the birthday of Frank Zappa. Oh, yeah. And Jane Fonda. And oh, man. You got lots um, of good birthdays. Samuel L. Jackson. Oh, man. And Phil Donahue. Oh, Chicago's very own. And haha, Clinton Dix. But I don't know if he plays football anymore. Yeah. Huh. Because he was a Packer and a Bear, and I think on several other teams, and has mm. like the best name ever. Mm -hmm. And well, I'm sure there's a lot of other people who have. Well, Mike Allstott, who you went to high school with, was he? He was a December twenty first. Yep. Wow. Yeah, he's exactly two years younger than me. Wow. Yeah, he went to high school with Sean and played for uh, Purdue. And then went on to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers and scored a touchdown in the Super Bowl. Yep. So yep, he has a Super Bowl ring. And his birthday is also December Yeah, someone who knows my name has a Super Bowl ring. Isn't that something? Yep. Craziness. Oh, I'm Sean, by the way. And I'm Lisa. And uh, those of you new listening to us, we're a married couple and we talk about the Beach Boys a lot. So that's what you're listening to. Yeah, Let's talk a lot. about the Beach Boys. Like every day. <laughs> and uh, what about the Beach Boys? Well, we don't really have a specific topic in mind today, so we're basically tying up some loose 2023 ends, and we'll collect our ourselves and come up with some specific topics for 2024. Yay! Yay. Unfortunately, there is something we have to discuss. Uh, we got some pretty bad news this week, obviously. Well, from when we're recording this, uh, we, of course, have to acknowledge the passing of Jeffrey Foskett. Yes. Yes. Who was a Beach Boys backup person for, during the 80s and again during the 2010s, I mm -hmm. guess. In fact, the last time we saw him was when we were at the Mike and Bruce version of the Beach Boys show. We weren't there to see the Beach Boys. We were there to see Ringo, but they were doing a double header. Uh, he was in the uh, the band at the time, mm -hmm. but this was after he had already had his uh, cancer surgery and stuff, and he was not really able to sing, so he just played guitar and kind of yeah. hung out in the back. Yeah, but in the interim, he spent quite a few years with uh, Brian Wilson's band Yep, and was a very, very important part of not just musically, but also support-wise. I mean, oh God, he was yeah. somebody who... He was somebody who Brian leaned on literally. Yeah. It's no secret to the fan community that Brian has had back problems and other physical issues over the years. I mean, there were times that Jeff would help him on and off stage or would give him a little back rub during the show and just kind of, he just always just seemed to be very attentive to what Brian needed. In fact, he said the reason that he left was there was only so much that he could do. So he he said, "Yeah, I got I got to go. I'm basically doing everything for Brian now." Yeah, and, and which had to really weigh on him emotionally. I mean, yeah. that's you know the role of a 
any caretaker role can be very difficult and demanding. And it may have just, we weren't there. We don't know what was going on, but. People who've listened to this podcast regularly might remember when we talked about a very specific day in our lives, specifically November 22nd, 2006, Mm. when we managed to get backstage at the Beacon Theater, and we (laughs) shook hands with Brian Wilson. And uh, we kind of kept it anonymous as to what band member made that possible for our friend to get us backstage like that, basically out of privacy reasons. Well, at this point, I think it's safe to name the source, as it were, and it was indeed Jeff. And that wasn't the only time. We got backstage passes via a friend because the same of Jeff. Friend, yeah. And we weren't the only ones. No. I mean, he was very generous with because I mean, really, let's get down to it. Much like Darian and Nikki Wonder, Jeff was a fan. Mm-hmm. I mean, he was a fan first and foremost. His uh what was it, his 20th birthday present yes. to himself was going up to Brian's house in Bel Air. And knocking on the door. (laughs) Yeah, and people have questioned that over the years because they're like, wait a minute, Brian's house in Bel Air, there was a security gate there. How could he have possibly gotten there? And the story that he had told was that he had a copy of Wild Honey with him, and he was looking for the house by matching the window Mm -hmm. to the Wild Honey cover. And people were saying... Is it possible that he could have seen that from the road, given that there's this big wall around the house and everything? But I don't know. I don't know. It was 1976. Who knows what what it was like then? I really don't know. I mean, that's the story. I'm not going to try to knock it down or rationalize it. And Brian himself, it. Is, himself, or at least someone speaking on his behalf, told that story. I mean, the fact is, Jeff met Brian as a fan. Yes. And one thing led to another, and he ended up in the Beach Boys band. Yep. And worked alongside them for a number of years. I mean, I he was probably one of the first people called upon when Brian decided to go out on the road. Yeah, absolutely. Um, again, very talented guitar player. Mm-hmm. And I... I always I said years ago that when Carl Wilson died, he must have willed his voice to Jeff because yeah. Jeff did an excellent job of carrying on Carl's vocals in a very, very strong way. But I think also just in terms of the leadership that's required when you're kind of in that sort of role in a in a band where you're not just a musician who just shows up to do his thing, but where you're kind of involved with making sure people are in the right place at the right time Mm -hmm. and people know what they're doing. And I mean, there are several people in Brian Wilson's band who, who served in those roles, but I think Jeff was definitely one of them. Just kind of keep, keep it all together. You know, and and he was, he was somebody we always enjoyed seeing on stage. I mean, for me, my thing is always at the end of Good Vibrations and the Smile shows, when he would flip his guitar over and on the back he had the Smile logo that we all know and love, and he would hold up his guitar. And I just something about that always got me. It was so right. Yeah. 
And we got we got to meet Jeff on several occasions, like to the point where he recognized us. He knew us by name. There were times he'd wave to us from the stage. Yeah, yeah, right. It was. I remember our in friend Toron- Dan was with us once, and he was like, "Oh my god, he waved at you!" Like, and in yeah. Toronto, he like shook our hands when we were down front. Yeah, with, like practically the whole orchestra section during the during the final set. Yeah, <laughs> and uh, now he's a super nice guy. Um. Yeah, I mean, we talked to him on several occasions, and he called our house once. Yeah, I know, right? <laughs> that was weird. That's and, a long uh, story. Yeah, there. that that's yeah, that's that's a story. <laughs> and when we got invited to Rick Colville's house at like a Brian Wilson fan party a couple days after the uh, recording of the tribute, we even got to sing with him. <laughs> yep. Because he yep, was, we have pictures. Yeah, I mean, he was just. I mean, it wasn't any big formal thing. He was just on one side of the living room, and there were some things set up, and people just kept coming up and joining in on songs. And and in June two thousand three, the same thing happened. We got invited to Rick's house again for another one of those. And a couple of days before, our friend Craig emailed me and said, "Hey, um, you know, Pete usually plays with us, but he can't be. He's going to be out of town that day. Would you mind playing bass with uh, me and Jeff?" <laughs> I'm like, "Ah!" Oh. It turned out Pete actually was able to reschedule things, so he, yeah, I didn't yeah. get to play. <laughs> but it was always good whenever you know we had yeah. any interaction with him, and I mean, he was just always a solid presence. I mean, yeah. another great memory I have. And this is easily viewed in the TNT tribute when Surf's Up was performed mm. by Brian's band and the lead singing parts were done by Vince Gill, Jimmy Webb, and David Crosby. Jeff was also kind of down front to contribute vocals along with their parts. And he also had the uh, the little sleigh bell thingy. And he... He just looked so happy because, of course, I have no idea what was going through his mind at the time, but the impression I get watching it is just the fact that Surf's Up was being performed in Radio City Music Hall in front of a packed audience being sung by three very important people. Yeah. (laughs) With Brian himself in the green room watching this. And Jeff just looked so happy, I think, to be a part of that. Because, I mean... There are people who are saying that when Jeff was singing the background vocals during the first part, he wasn't singing bygone, bygone. He was singing, my God, my God. Yeah, Yeah, right. (laughs) And, of course, when Brian Wilson Presents Smile was actually recorded... There are parts where it, it just seemed like, I mean, we know it's Jeff singing, but yet it sounds like he is just a vessel for Carl's voice. It sounds voice. so much like Carl. Like, I think he deliberately made sure that he sounded as much like Carl as possible to just have Carl be there. It's especially noticeable in Child is Father of the yeah. Man. And if you look in the, I think it's uh, the uh, Through My Window album that he came out with, I think in 96 or 97, there's a dedication in there that says to Carl Wilson, who really taught me how to sing, or something along those lines. Well, I wouldn't doubt it. I mean, it's like, from like, say, the bits and pieces of uh, interviews, like say, with uh, Carl's sons on um, the Sirius XM Beach Boys channel. 
I mean, Carl was pretty serious about what he did. Like, he did vocal exercises. And Mm -hmm. it's always remarkable to me that for somebody who was a smoker since he was a young teenager, and from what I understand, a heavy smoker, not like a cigarette now and then, but the fact that his voice still sounded so good pretty much until he died. I mean, Mm -hmm. he had to have really done things to take care of his voice as best as he could, Mm -hmm. even with the smoking. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, when you especially when you compare it to say how Brian's voice sounded in the mid seventies when he had been smoking very heavily. Like four packs a day and probably yeah. a couple of kilos of cocaine well, a day yeah. too. That well, yeah, that's I mean, not gonna help your voice. Well, yeah, yeah. But it's like I think that there's a difference there. Yeah. Yeah, and speaking of Carl, there's something that a lot of people don't know because in fact I was reading a story about Jeff that was that Variety posted. It said that for reasons Jeff never discussed publicly, he left the Beach Boys in 1990. He actually did discuss it publicly uh, because there were, everybody thought that he left because he was unsatisfied with the direction the band was going, you know, being an oldies act and all this. There was a European fan magazine that at, flat out asked him, why did you leave the Beach Boys? And Jeff got kind of brutally honest about himself. He said, I left because Carl and Michael asked me to leave. And he talked about how at that time, you know, he was kind of young and ignorant and he was very cocky. He had an attitude problem and he would show up to concerts with different women each time. And he was married Mm. and that would cause say beach boys wives to look at them and say, so who are you sleeping around with? (laughs) And so they said, this, this has got to stop. And he said it was an act of tough love. Mm. So it was basically Carl and Mike was telling him, like, go go grow the hell up. Pretty much, yeah. And he said, they saved my marriage. Mm. Jeff said that was a real kick in the pants for him because it really changed his attitude. And he's grateful that that happened. So, yeah, he did discuss it publicly. I mean, it's good to see when he, he can admit that, you know, he's he's a human being like anybody else. He has his problems. He has his flaws. And um, going back to how we got to meet Brian essentially because of Jeff. Have you seen how many people made the same oh, yeah. comment? Yeah. Oh, because of Jeff, I got to meet Brian. Mm-hmm. Be- uh, so many fans. And I think it's because he know he knows from firsthand experience. Well, yeah, like I said, he he was a fan. Yeah. I mean, he he was a fan before everything else. I mean, that's something that I always felt with a lot of the members of Brian's band. I mean, that of course we know again, Darian and Nick were like really serious fans, but even the others may not have been like fan fans, but they definitely loved Brian's music. Yeah. And were always open to meeting fans backstage and talking about fan kind of stuff like they weren't they weren't all like oh this is just a job like they understood and they liked talking because we speak we all speak the same language Mm -hmm. and i think there was there's a level of enjoyment there and probably jeff knowing that he was in a position to make fans really happy yeah I, i think he really he understood that and he's like hey if i can do this I'm going to do it. And 
you know, you don't really see that all the time Yeah, with people who are like in an inner circle. And he took a special interest in us in particular, I think, because he was astonished (laughs) at how young we were because we were in our 20s. Yeah. And I think it just blew his mind that we met and got married because we love pet sounds. Which pet sounds came out years before we were born. Yeah. And (laughs) we were pretty close to how old jeff was when he got to meet brian he probably figured man these these are definite fans here they they should meet brian sometime but i know there are other people you know, i mean we're not by far the only no. couple uh-uh. that met because of brian's music no but i think jeff loved hearing those kinds of stories mm-hmm. i mean i think a lot of them i mean when when i met brian at uh, the meet and greet at tower records in 1998 and i mentioned that I met my fiance because of you and and your music. And Melinda was sitting next to him and she asked me to step over and she wanted to hear a little more of that story. Because I think this was at a time when uh, Melinda was really just starting to hear fan stories and have interactions with fans. And I think she was just really like she loved hearing these stories of just how how much people were affected by Brian's music. Mm-hmm. Basically, it's not just a small group of people. It's a lot of people. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> people from all walks of life, all different ages. And yeah. <laughs> yeah. And man, it was, I mean, it's just crazy, though, hearing when I got that message from our friend Slice, who said Jeff died. I'm like, what? And all I could think of was this f-ing cancer. You yep. Know? Yep. Yep. And, um, hashtag cancer. Yeah. And, um, apparently he and his family were just, were, were out celebrating something just last week, I think. Well, that's, and it's, and, uh, craziness is, uh, David Beard was talking about how when he did his extensive interview with Jeff for a recent Endless Summer Quarterly, it was the, uh, one of the uh, issues about the, uh, the 85 sessions. He said that Jeff was hooked up to an IV at the time. So it's crazy how, how things can get, you know, he was given only three months, I think. And he went over to, to uh, Houston and they were able to give him several years. Yeah. So that well, was, that was pretty great. I mean, that's right I mean, there, remember know. back with Carl yeah. where we had heard some things about how he was doing better and then he died. Yeah. That's the nature of cancer. It, it doesn't play fair. No, it doesn't. I don't know. I, I really don't know what, what else to say other than, you know, I'm I'm glad that, that Jeff was there. He was there for Brian. He was there for the fans. Mm-hmm. He was he was a true friend to the fans and a uh, really good musician. I've posted about the people who follow us on Facebook might have seen the post, but uh, something that I recommended, if you want to check out Jeff's music, I can personally recommend an album he did. Um, I think it was around 2000, 2001 called 12 and 12. He has a lot of guest stars on it, including Brian and, uh, has a lot of his original music on there. A lot of people recommend through my window. Um, uh, personally, I think that's what you want to listen to. If you want to hear Ruddles esque beach boys <laughs> music, it's almost home demo in a way. He does a lot of songs that you can say, Oh, this is definitely going to be no go showboat. Or <laughs> he does, he does a couple of Sunrays songs on it too. And a song called Fish, which anybody who's heard Foskett's music, they're going to know Fish, <laughs> which has kind of a Troy McClure kind of thing if you take it at face value, because there's a phrase, sexy little fish. <laughs> when we saw Jeff in 2003 at Rick Colville's house, 
He didn't do a lot of performing because the house was like really overheated because there were too many people in there and it was a hot June day and the air conditioner couldn't keep up. So he just basically sat down and answered questions. So I asked him, I said, Jeff, what's the deal with fish? I just needed to know because that's the song everybody talks about when they talk about Jeff. And he said, well, that was a cover that I did because the record label wanted me to do it because somebody had a hit with it in Japan And because my album was going to be distributed in Japan, they wanted to have a way to boost sales. So that's why I did that song. So I don't know. (laughs) And also I would, you know, if we can have a final thing about Jeff, I'm sure we can definitely thank him for helping to make Smile happen. Yes, Because I think, again, in terms of, Not just the musicianship, but the support that Brian needed in order to make that thing happen. I think Jeff was definitely part of that team. Yep. And I mean, you can see in the beautiful Dreamer documentary, like he's right there next to Brian. Mm -hmm. So just having, having him there along with other people is what Brian really needed. He in needed order a mess of help to stand alone. Yeah. <laughs> so thank you, Jeff. Thank you, thank Jeff. You. Thanks so much. Moving on. There's something that we need to do. We need to backtrack a little bit because we talked a little bit about our trip to London in our previous episode. One thing that we sorely left out, and I feel really, really bad for, for forgetting about this, is a couple of friends that we met up with who told us, if you ever find your way over to England, let us know. And uh, that's our friends, Valerie Johnson Howe and Andrew G. Doe. We had a really cool lunch with them at the Hard Rock Cafe. A uh, very long Very lunch. long. Very yeah. long lunch. You get three people talking about the Beach Boys, especially a noted historian. There's going to be a lot to talk. Dude, oh, I don't know about you, but I found Andrew Doe to be one of the most mellow people I have ever met. Such a mellow guy. <laughs> Well, you got to be mellow when you deal with decades of various stupid people <laughs> in various Beach Boys oh, online mercy. forums. Yeah. So, <laughs> I mean, if he if he wasn't mellow, he would have exploded a long time ago. I was ago. expecting him to pound his fist in the door, or the door, no, the table, complaining about it. But no, he just kind of, if anything stupid was brought, he'd just kind of roll his eyes and he'd be like, yeah, whatever. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but we had, we had so much fun, oh, and man. while we were there, uh, the the uh, server encouraged us to visit the vault, as they called it, literally because their museum exhibits are stored in a bank vault across the street. Mm-hmm. Same vault where uh, was it? Was it Lady Diana? Yes. There's a building across the street from the original, this is the original London Hard Rock Cafe that's been around since 1971. And across the street is a building that used to be a bank. And now the street level is the Hard Rock Cafe shop. And then the aforementioned vault is downstairs. And you have to have a pass to get into that, which our hostess gave us so that we could go check it out. Yeah, the story is that before Charles and Diana got married, Diana would go to that vault to have her wedding dress fittings because they needed to keep the media off her trail. Like, (laughs) keep a, you know, they wanted to keep the dress secure and keep it out of the media 
until uh, the wedding happened. So that was a very safe, secure place that nobody caught on to because people were expecting dress shops or hotel suites or places where people usually go for fittings. Not a bank vault. I mean, it's not far from Buckingham Palace. Because we actually, the reason we went there is uh, we had just gone to Buckingham Palace for the tour. So it was just a short walk from there. So that was a pretty cool story. Yeah, it's a pretty small exhibit there. It's not a heck of a lot. Like one thing they had was a guitar that Pete Townsend literally accidentally donated because he was drunk. (laughs) But something else they had, there was one Beach Boys related thing that they had and it was in a frame. It was a letter. It wasn't from Murray. It was from his secretary. Yeah, yeah. His secretary, Betty Hinton. But it came from Murray. (laughs) the content. Yeah, and it was dated May 14th, 1970, and I will read you what we were able to see. Uh, It had Brian's address at the top, except it was 1452 Bellagio Road, which is wrong. It's, the secretary put it wrong. It's 10, it's 10452, and it says, Dear Brian, sorry that we were not able to complete our telephone conversation today. Your father said for me to put a few of his thoughts down in a letter to you, some of the things he told the fellows while he was in Australia, and I wanted to add a few things that have occurred to me over the past four years. Your father, and she capitalized the F in father, so I don't know what that's about, your father feels that Nick, as in Nick Grillo, sent him over to Australia as a patsy to try and get the fellows back in gear. Of course, he knew this and went because of his concern for you all and the great love that he feels for each of you. We could not believe the sloppy habits that the Beach Boys have gotten into. They are so far away from their sound and their records, they dilly-dally on stage and do not put out an honest effort. Dennis is too loud, which he told him many times on the tour. He waited for the proper time and then, as I told you on the telephone, he gave them a 49-minute lecture about where they failed and things they were doing wrong, including Bruce, Al, and Mike. He made them sound better when they were on the Chevron stage and told them to each get on the microphones. Mike is sick with bad habits. Dennis was amazed when he tried that he did not have to play so loud and sounded better when they worked together as a group. Your dad, dad with a capital D, by the way, put them on notice that they are all in deep, serious trouble, and you will all have to go to work so you won't lose everything. He praised them all, each in a different way, told them how great they could be if they all pulled together and be more honest in their personal lives, as well as their business lives. The Beach Boys are going to come back stronger, with ego, better morale, and they want to take direction because they are tired of not having leadership. They admitted that they have been overproducing their records. They felt badly that you quit writing and they lost confidence. It took the wind out of their sails because they lost their leader. They can't understand why you don't pitch in and show your (laughs) tremendous talent. It hurt Dennis most of all because he loves you. You will never know just how much he does love you. And he needs your help with his writing. He gets lost in melodies. And they go on and on when he should condense them. And uh, it says continued with seven periods after it. Uh, that We didn't see the whole thing. It looked like there were at least two pages stapled together. And I mean, this is, okay, this is 1970. They were all well into adulthood. Yep. They were all, for the most part, married and fathers. Yep. Mm-hmm. Like, 
And they're being lectured like they're 16. It's, uh, this sounds just like the infamous Help Me Murray tape. Yeah. I mean, this would have been, you know, okay, this is just overblown no matter what. But I mean, if this had been written in, say, 1962, maybe, and the fact that it's like not even Murray, but the, you know, the secretary saying, my father, your father told me to write this. I mean, this is just a hoot. I'd love to know more about this Betty Hinton person and like how close a relationship she had to Murray. But yeah, the actually uh, going back to the Pete Townsend guitar thing, it was, uh, I believe it was Eric Clapton was like the first person to donate a guitar to the Hard Rock Cafe. And Pete was like, he didn't want to be bested by Eric Clapton. So he donated one too, but he was drunk at the time. So he like forgot that he did that and then was like, oops. And he tried to get it back. And I yeah. think they kind of gave him the runaround so they didn't have to give but it back. But they had, I mean, this room had like, there was um, a bench that had been in Jimi Hendrix's house. Um, there was a shirt that had belonged to Keith Moon and the... Uh, was it the harpsichord from All You Need Is Love? Oh, I believe, or Lucy in the Sky something. with Diamonds? Like there was an actual Beatle instrument. Yeah, there was some. I don't remember what. I, I mean, there was some. There was some pretty cool stuff. Yeah, I think there was a Jimmy Page guitar, and these things were. They weren't even behind any cases or anything. They were right that you could literally touch them. Well, some things were like the Keith Moon shirt. I think was in well, the yeah, yeah, sale. but the instruments were yeah. right there. Yeah, I don't think anybody like when we were there. I don't think anybody actually did dare touch them. I think. Oh, and they also <laughs> had the bustier that Madonna wore in the early nineties hmm. when she did like the Blonde Ambition tour, and so they had. I mean, it wasn't all just old sixties stuff. They had some more modern things too. But yeah, seeing, I mean, just. Of all the Beach Boys things that you would expect to see in a display like that, just to have oh, this, man. this scolding letter from Murray, <laughs> which, which really, though, also, it's kind of an interesting slice of the Beach Boys history. Yeah, and then uh, that poor lady who was working there had to learn some of this stuff when, oh, yeah. when we were talking with her, like... She had no idea how dark the Beach Boys could oh, get. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I think Andrew was telling her about the Charles Manson connection. She said, what? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, there's, it's, uh, I mean, the more you learn about it, <laughs> about the good Beach Boys grief. history. Holy goodness. It's like, good Lord. Yeah. So, what else we, I remember, you wanted to talk about something particular, too. Like, the, um, I think our original idea for, like, getting this episode recorded was because we wanted to discuss what's going to happen now that it seems that Brian is no longer going to be touring. Well, I mean, seems, I think it's kind of a done deal. It probably is, but we have never heard official word from anybody. You'd think that his PR team would come out and say Brian's done. In a way, I mean, because, you know, we go back to last summer and those of us who went to see when Brian was touring with Chicago, I mean, he he was basically not participating. Yeah. I mean, hardly even singing and not really moving much, not not even interacting with his bandmates. And it's like, of course... Those of us who 
have gone to a number of Brian's concerts over the years. I mean, he's not like most performers where he's going to be, you know, front and center. Yeah. You know, and, and all that, like he's always been much more reserved than what you usually expect from somebody fronting a rock and roll concert. But we know Brian and we accept Brian. Mm -hmm. And, but this was just kind of beyond that. It's like, it really was. It's like, is he in pain? Is he bored? Is he unhappy? Like, he just did not seem to want to be there for any yep. reason. Yep. And I mean, even compared to when we had seen him the year before, it felt like like he did want to be there. And, and he was really much more involved. Yes. And in 2021, he was a lot like his old self, except that he was obviously, I think he was in a wheelchair because like yeah. you didn't see him wheeled out or anything, but he never left his chair. Yeah. So he was probably not in good physical condition at that point. Yeah. But he was still singing yep. and he was you know, interacting and musically he was very yeah. present. And he, and he was better than he was in 2019 and 2018. Which is, I mean, being in a wheelchair does not mean somebody can't perform. Yeah, I mean, of course. It's, it's like there are some people like, oh, it's so sad to see. And it's like, dude, if he still can perform musically, he can be in a wheelchair. Like, that's kind of being a little ableist, isn't it? Uh, yeah. I mean, when you, especially when you consider there's a woman who won the Tony for best performance in a musical two years ago, two or three years ago for the revival of Oklahoma. She played yep. Ado Annie. And this woman has been in a wheelchair most of her life. Mm-hmm. So she she has a disability, but she also is a great actress with an amazing singing voice. So it's like being in a wheelchair does not keep her from being in no. a musical. So it's like, okay, if Brian needs like some physical help, so be it. If he still can go out there and sing, that's what you're there for. And I mean, this is just, I have no basis for it. This is just my speculation that that tour may have been kind of difficult for him because they were touring with Chicago. So it was a, a set deal. So it's not like probably canceling shows or rescheduling shows were probably wasn't an option. And yeah, even when Robert Lamb wasn't there for several of the shows during that tour, they still had to go on. And when we saw him in 2021 and in many other times, the venues were theaters. Yeah. The indoor indoor venues of maybe two, three thousand seats. So indoors, climate controlled, very nice. But then the tour with Chicago was pretty, you know, in many cases were large amphitheaters, Mm -hmm. outdoor venues in the summer with heat and humidity and whatever, bugs. And And on top of that, Chicago has jam-packed tours. Yeah. They they tour a lot. So that's the thing, too. There there weren't a lot of breaks. I mean, for, I mean, Brian was out on the road with them for seven weeks. And yes, when Brian's on the road, he's in a very, very comfy tour bus. I mean, the tour buses that they have nowadays are gorgeous, but that's still not your own bed. Yep. You're still in a bus. <laughs> no matter how comfortable the bed is, you're still feeling all the bumps and whatever. 
and it still can't compare to being in your own bed or even in a really nice hotel room. And he room. was away from the Beverly Glen Deli. <laughs> so, I mean, I have to wonder if it was just to, if it was just not the, yeah, you know, like they may have signed on because it was a lucrative deal. Yeah. But it may have just been too much for him. Absolutely. I think it was. And so I wasn't surprised when, like, shortly, because when we saw him in Tinley Park, that was, I think, the second to last date. Yes. And shortly after that, the shows that they had scheduled for England were canceled. Mm-hmm. European dates were canceled. And to this date, never rescheduled. Yeah. Well over a year later. And the dude is 81 years old. Well, that too. So, you know, I, I don't know. It's like... I don't know why we never got any kind of official notice. I wasn't really expecting it because I could see the writing on the wall. And I think a lot of other fans can too. Still though, you, might, you want that official closure if that's what's yeah, happening. But, you, know? you know, again, you might think, again, this is total speculation, but maybe it's just not something Brian wanted to actually say out loud. You know what I mean? Or like, maybe Brian's people don't want to like jinx it and think that maybe he'll want to go out and do something like a one-off show now and then. But I don't know. It's just kind of, especially since the vibe we were getting and I think things we were hearing from people like around, say, 2021, that while Brian had discomfort being on stage, like physical discomfort. Yeah. He was. He still wanted to be out there. He still liked doing concerts and going out there. And hey, I'm sure he didn't mind hearing the ovation for God Only Knows. Of course. Or hearing inevitable in any Brian Wilson concert, you're going to hear a male voice yell out, we love you, Brian. <laughs> you know? I mean, he had to love that. And, and it's like, if you can still get it, why give that up? But I think it's just kind of... He may have seen the writing on the wall, sure. too, and it just might be a hard thing to admit. I don't know. But the fact is, it's been year and a half later, and the only time we've seen Brian out in the wild is for the Grammy special. Yeah. The Grammy tribute. So, I don't know. I mean, it's just, we knew this day would come, but it's still hard to to know that like okay when summer concert season comes around and venues announce dates we're not going to see a Brian Wilson show well to be quite honest i may have said this before but i'm going to say it again if i have seen my last Brian Wilson show already i'm okay with that well, i'm okay I mean, with that i am too because i mean let's face it let's look back at 26 years ago, we never thought we'd ever see Brian in concert. Yeah. We are lucky. Because he just wasn't doing that. And we have gotten an embarrassment of riches. Yeah. That we got to see him in concert, what, 31 times? Ish, yeah. I mean, that's, I mean, we've already, one of our first episodes of this podcast was we actually sat down and went through every concert and talked about it and what was there was something memorable about every show 
be it something in the set list or people we were there with or the venue or whatever. In the podcast itself, we selected, you know, because we we would have, the podcast would have been six hours long if we actually talked about every single show. Yeah. But we have an amazing collection of memories Mm -hmm. and experiences that I am extremely thankful for. And it's like, you have to look back at that Dr. Seuss quote, don't cry because it's over, smile because it happened. And the word smile, mm. Yep. Returns <laughs> take, to you, comes take, out. And, take what you want yeah. from that. But it's that we were very, very lucky. And it's like, all good things must come to an end. But yep. still, it's just, I don't know. It's it's still a little hard for me. Yeah. And I'm, I'm wondering if he's done, he's probably done recording too, because we haven't really heard a peep out of him in terms of there have been a couple of things over the last year or two. There was a little buzz, but nothing... Nothing ever happened. We don't know. Yeah. And I, mean, just- and I mean, granted, sometimes things take time and don't yeah. happen, don't come out right away. Well, the Beckley Lamb Wilson stuff was recorded, what, 1993, I think? Yeah. And, and it that didn't- came out and that didn't come out until after Carl was gone. Yeah. So, I don't know. I mean, there's so many things where it's like, hey, let's get together and do something. And they do something and then things change or they're not happy with how it turned out or i mean there could be a hundred explanations as to why we haven't heard anything else i maybe wheel of fortune was on i don't know seriously i mean the thing is though every once in a while brian's social media posts a recent picture of brian like usually in his house or like someone came hey this person came over to visit and all this and something that these pictures have in common brian looks healthy and happy which really that's the most important thing which really yeah i mean for all this man has been through in his life and when you think about all the times that he could have died yeah seriously i mean he could have been on an lsd trip in the 60s and really harmed himself he could have overdosed on any number of things yep. in the 70s, or he could have had a heart attack because he was so overweight. And, and we've and talked doing about drugs. how we've talked yep. about how we imagine, say, Carl's phone ringing and he, how many times he might have thought, oh no. Yeah. Is this going to yeah. be that call? Or during the Landy yeah, times, as we've, as we've found out that Landy was literally poisoning brian and i mean the proof of that is the fact that he tried to have brian's will altered so that landy well, I, don't, I wouldn't go so far as it's proof but you know well yeah but the fact that landy had brian's will altered to leave what 75 percent of his state of his estate to landy and i yeah. think like carney and wendy got like two percent or something yeah and i mean i don't know how much more there is to that story but just that alone is pretty chilling and, and the stuff that, and if uh, what what's in Mike's book is to be believed, and I have no reason to think it isn't, that's just freaking scary. Yeah. But how leaving expired drugs just laying around, it kind of implying that Landy was hoping Brian would relapse. Yeah, and of course, just the things that just happen in life yeah, that sure. could have taken him, and it's like he's still here. There's and- a reason. <laughs> There's a reason he's still here. It's like. He's still here, and yep. he has survived 
everything. Well, it's like what David Leaf told us, Brian can adapt. Well, yeah. (laughs) I mean, if it comes down to when his time comes, if he goes, passes away in his sleep, in his bed, just of simply old Old age. Old age, yeah. He could be 102 years old, you know? Yeah. What we've been able to experience, what he's been able to share with the world is a blessing. Yeah. You know, I don't like when, and I may have ranted about this before, but I'll rant for a moment again, when there are people like, I know, people have said about Brian, like, oh, why doesn't he just retire? And it's like, what he, d- you're thinking like, in your life, you know, when you, when you have a nine to five job, and you leave there, and they give you a retirement party, and you go off to your condo in Boca Raton or something. It's like, that's not what Brian's life is, or any other musician, Mick Jagger, or Bruce Springsteen, or Elton, well, Elton John did retire, but it's different. Mm -hmm. And it's like, if you are still, well, even Elton John, I mean, Elton John is stopped touring because He wants to be home while his kids are still growing up. Yeah. But if he didn't have children, I bet you he'd still be out on the road because he loves it. (laughs) And when the kids start to grow up, I would not be surprised if he did a Paul McCartney when his most recent child started growing up. He's like, yeah, I'm going to cut back while while the kid grows up. Uh, By the way, I think I'll do a concert over here. (laughs) I mean, you know, if you can still, if you're in your 70s or your 80s and you can still sell out an arena and you're healthy enough to go out there and play and sing for a couple hours, why would you want to give that up? We saw Tony Bennett when he was in his 90s and already diagnosed with uh, Alzheimer's. Yeah. And he did a hell of a good show. Yeah. But it's like with Brian, I mean, again, it might be just... The physical things, it might be that maybe he doesn't want to be on the road anymore. I don't know. But it's kind of like, I mean, I have no choice to accept what he does or what he chooses to do because I have nothing to do with it. And there's nothing I can do about it except say, thank you. And again, it's still just a little bit hard for me to take because it was such a great ride and you never, you never want to see a great ride come to an end. But, but it, and when it does, you find another great ride. Yeah, but I haven't yet. <laughs> <laughs> Give it time. You got you. Got to try. I mean, I still, I don't know. It's and it's kind of like with the way Brian's music has been there for me my whole life. And of course, the recordings are there. They'll never go away. I will always have that. But at the same time. It's just the other things that I've enjoyed or that that there's not going to be any more, you know, probably no more new stuff. And again, it's not so much like the, it's the excitement of it. The excitement of, oh, he's going to be touring and he's going to do a show right here or he's got an album coming out. Like that excitement, not having that. Right. And it's just, will I ever find a love like that again? (laughs) I know that sounds very dramatic. Yes, it does. But, yeah. Like I said, I can accept that I'm probably not going to see a Brian concert again. What is hard for me to accept is that means I'm probably not going to see his backing band. Oh, yeah. Because, man, they we're not their friends, but yet we are, you know? 
Well, because they love the music as much as we do. And several of them are fans themselves. Like, that's how they got Mm -hmm. into Brian's music to begin with. It wasn't just a job for a lot of these people. And the fact that we've gotten the opportunity to talk to, again, going back to Jeff, those backstage passes... Wasn't just to talk to Brian. I oh, mean, yeah, yeah. We that, got to, I didn't think that was going to happen at all. I mean, we got to have some pretty cool conversations with quite a few members of Brian's band over the years. Yeah. I mean, Probin was always a great, great conversation. Oh, yeah. We talked to him a couple times, but this group of people, because they, it felt like they were family. Yeah. It was and a- just seeing that they put so much care and passion into performing Brian's music. Again, it didn't feel like it was just a job. Oh, absolutely. But yeah, it was always good to go there and say, oh man, so good to see Darian again. Oh, and there's Probe and there's... Yeah. Even when the the band members changed, it was like, oh, there's Debbie Cher. It's great to see her. (laughs) And there's just something something about the vibe that they sent out, that familial vibe. And yeah, it's it might be a chapter that's over, but we'll see what happens. I mean, I don't know. But look at all that we have because of that guy. All the records we have, the marriage that you and I have, for, <laughs> for one thing. Well, yeah, and it's something that spans, because you have original Beach Boys stuff, Brian's solo material, I mean, even going back to the 1988 album, and then... Going forward, thing you know, smile and that lucky old son. Just so many great concerts, great events, and just seeing Brian getting an honorary doctorate mm-hmm. and being the only American artist that performed at the Queen's Jubilee. That's just amazing. Yeah. He got to meet the Queen of England. Yep. And he said, hi, Queen. (laughs) Because he's Brian. Yep. After he was instructed, okay, here's how you address the Queen. You call her your highness. (laughs) Do not call her Queen. Well, you know what? You got to understand. I mean, you got to give Brian a pass on that because it's like last month, Sean and I got to go to a... um, an event with uh, Henry Winkler, where he was uh, talking about the memoir that he just published, which is fantastic, by the way, highly recommend it. But he talked about the book and told some stories from it. And afterwards, he did like a like photo op, not really even a meet and greet, but a photo op. And we're waiting in line. And I'm thinking of, you know, something quick, but brilliant to say to the guy who played the Fonz. Mm-hmm. I mean, this was somebody who was a hero when I was growing up and you were growing up Yep. and just other things that I've seen him in and just all the stuff he's done to give light to dyslexia and so many wonderful things about this guy. Oh, you know what? And another wonderful thing about him? What? He's a Pet Sounds fan. Yes, he is. <laughs> So when it was my time to go and and have my picture taken with him, what do I say? Hi! You didn't really have much time because they ushered know, people in and out I know, really quickly. But I sound I was just this idiot. <laughs> and so I mean, Brian being 
face to face with the Queen of England. <laughs> and he may have completely forgotten everything he had ever been told about anything and said, Hi, Queen. <laughs> it may have been the same kind of thing. And what was her reaction? She smiled politely and shook his hand, just like with everybody else in line that day. <laughs> well, of course, because, I mean, keep in mind, all the royal protocols and things, it's not like she made this stuff up. A lot of this comes from people in offices and everything, and probably half the stuff she didn't really even care about, or Seriously. maybe even didn't even know about, or maybe thought some of it was even kind of silly, like that whole thing, how you can never turn your back on her. You have to like back out of the room when you meet her or something. And it's like she may have just thought it was all ridiculous. Or Could maybe be. she was like, okay, you're just an American fool. <laughs> oh, speaking of American fool and the queen and protocol and everything. Yeah. Something else we should might maybe acknowledge that happened this year. That was pretty nice. That was a pretty nice uh, surprise. What? The Beach Boys channel returned, sort of, to Sirius XM. Okay, what does that have to do with any of those words? What does it not have to do, yo? (laughs) No, seriously, what does it have to do with any of those words? I had to make some kind of a segue. Okay. (laughs) Um, It's kind of a 2023 year in review, if you will. Yeah, because we, you know, just, it was very sudden. It was like, Oh, yeah, by the way, um, Sirius XM is bringing back the Beach Boys channel for a month. Bye. Yeah, on channel 507. 503. Or something, yeah, 503. Yeah, so it was only on the app, so I couldn't listen to it in the car unless I, like, wasted our 5G to, which I did a couple times. (laughs) There were some days when I really needed to listen to it on the way home. God, you have the songs you could just load up on your phone, but it's or not the same. Oh, it's not the same. Well, that's because- true because your songs—you're not going to hear these random, weird Bruce and Terry songs. Oh God, they're so awful. Oh my God, how this—that's one thing about the SiriusXM channel is that every time it's back, we learn more and more about just how much material Bruce and Terry record. Oh it's my like- God, and it's all so bad. Oh man, but. uh Sorry, sorry, Bruce, if you're listening to this, but you you have to admit it yourself. These songs were not good. But, uh, <laughs> well, no, I mean, as I've told you, the thing that I like about the SiriusXM channel is that it kind of pushes me to listen to things that I may not select myself or things I may not have on my iTunes. I mean, because of it, I've gained an appreciation for things like Ding Dang. <laughs> I th- and, I never thought you ever would. I, I know, but I, it just makes and, me and laugh. it's okay. And oh, man, it's okay. Save me. And the TM song, that makes me laugh. Like that whole intro when they're like having a, like a fight or something. You know, I, I hope which, they do. Which actually probably is like, here's an actual audio from backstage at any Beach Boys concert ever. Hi, this is Alan. Here's what takes place at a typical TM session. <laughs> yeah, yeah, where they're all screaming at each other. I would love it if uh, maybe as a, a copyright extension thing or something they release they put out the argument but to the individual parts <laughs> so you can hear what everybody's saying oh i thought you were gonna say you can like remix it and make a new argument or oh, that something. would be cool too <laughs> but um, a roll your own yeah or just like dennis solo material yeah. you know just things that it kind of 
highlight. And it also makes me hate other things even more, like, oh, say, <laughs> Spirit of America. <laughs> oh, man. I, that, is, that is terrible. That's a wonderful song. No, it, it's... No. Uh, well, at least maybe this- maybe not if you get beaten over the head with it. Like, well, that. that's the thing. That one summer, like one of the times that they ran the Beach Boys channel, and they played it literally every five minutes. This time it was Disney Girls. It's like I hear that little <laughs> opening, and it's just like pause. <laughs> pause. I mean, well, because when you're on the app, you can. Just or you can hit go live or something. Uh, and, oh, okay. I get you know, to kind saying. of get yeah. away from it. I that, don't need to hear that song again. You know, I do wish they would make that a permanent channel, but my big complaint about that channel is when they bring it back, they always have way too much repetition for such a huge catalog. Yeah. And I mean, this time around for this month, again, it was just a weird thing that it would come up from the beginning of November until the beginning of December, but they had some new stuff because this was the first time they ran the Beach Boys channel outside of summer. So they had some bumpers about the holiday music. Yeah. Uh, they did play quite a few of the Christmas songs. I forget specifically, but there were bumpers like, you know, have the sound of summer all winter long or something like that. Like things that were specifically for this time of year. Which and they, is not winter yet. And they shut up. They did have some newer interview clips that I hadn't heard before. They mm-hmm. had some newer caller requests. And I do like that there were quite a few where people said, please make this channel permanent. Yeah, yeah I heard. <laughs> and, I wonder uh, if maybe that's a little teaser. Well, Ooh. I don't know. I mean, or maybe it was just kind of like, hey, let's test it out and see how many people listen to it at this time of year. And... um I think there was a Carney clip that I hadn't heard before. A couple things that I don't think I had heard before. So it's like, and they also had a couple things that were um, Beach Boys covers, like from other people, which is something we always hear on the Beatles channel that they play. Yeah. They play other people doing Beatles songs. So the fact that they're bringing in some. Beach Boys covers, again, it could make you think, like, this might be, they're messing around with stuff. It could be a trial for making something a little, because if you look at how the Beatles channel runs, where you've got Beatles music, solo Beatles. Beatles John Lennon's jukebox. Well, you have Beatles, people covering Beatles songs, and then you have songs that influence the Beatles. You could have easily all four of those areas in a Beach Boys oh, format. Oh, easily, yeah. And But introducing covers is not a new thing, because they did that a few times before, too. Okay, I may have just missed it, because I never remembered hearing anything before. In particular, Girl Don't Tell Me, as done by the Anderson Council. Who the hell is the Anderson Council? It's a cover band, obviously. Oh, okay. Or it's a band, obviously. See what they did there, Anderson Council? As in Pink Anderson and Floyd Council? Whatever. I'd love to hear... And I know it exists, I just don't remember who did it, but I'm pretty sure there's a girl singing Girl Don't Tell Me, as in making it kind of oh, a Oh, yeah, like, I think I know like what you're talking about. Like a lesbian sort yeah. of thing. I know somebody 
has done I, that. I know what you're talking. Speaking of which, um, there was a singer named Frank, P-H-R-A-N-C, who did a cover of Surfer Girl. Yeah. That actually one of my teachers in Catholic high school played for me once. Yeah. He, he was a big fan of hers. And, he, and this person was a Carmelite brother. Still is a Carmelite <laughs> brother, actually. So a man of the cloth listening to Frank. You got to love it. Yeah. So, so, I mean, that would be cool if they could bring in like a lot more of that and just other associated acts have some Jan and Deans. Well, they already do play some oh, Jan yeah. and Dean, but they could have more Jan and Dean. They could have other groups that kind of riff off the Beach Boys oh, sound. Man. Did they ever play anything from Charles Lloyd? I'm curious about I don't, that. I don't remember. I don't think so. I don't think Beach, so. Like various Beach Boys were involved in a couple of his albums, like Waves and uh, all the one he did in, the, in around 1977, 78. They were well, on that one too. And I they think. could also play stuff like, say, Wishing You Were Here by yep. uh, Chicago. Yep. And um, Don't Let the Sun Go Down on Me. There are a couple of cuts on uh, Pink Floyd's The Wall that I think Bruce and maybe another Beach Boy possibly were on. I don't remember for sure. Yeah. So it's uh, it was a nice little treat to have yeah. that, especially since they had just run the Beach Boys channel in the summer. So I don't know. Let's see what happens. Yeah. Anybody working at Sirius XM listening to this? Yes, we will listen. Yes. We will. Yes. Yes. But of course, if it became a permanent channel... I would have to temper things. Yeah, because seriously, because when they do that, you have that's all you listen that's to. That's all I listen to. You know why? Because it's like my dream come true. <laughs> like, oh my God, a radio channel that's nothing but the Beach Boys. No, that's not my Beach Boys dream come true. My Beach Boys dream come true is, I'm sure I've mentioned this before, especially with the Sunflower era material. Give us not just the songs, but the individual single tracks from each song. I want to hear each of those sixteen tracks. Okay, but they're not going to do that. On the, they're not going to do that on the radio. No, but I mean, give it. To, let us I'm download about them just so we can yeah. make our own mixes and hear what's buried and everything. That's what I want. But yeah, a Beach Boys channel would be. Lovely. Hey, Irving Azoff, Beach Boys, anybody involved hearing this? I will buy those. <laughs> and uh, I would like to ask, what do you hope happens in 2024? But that's just way too wide open a question. Well, didn't you just tell me something about a Beach Boys documentary? Oh, that is yeah. Like officially sanctioned by BRI and yeah. whatever. Which, I think Al especially has been talking about it a lot. Yeah, which... I mean, can you imagine how many attorneys have to be involved? Oh with my this? goodness, yeah. But um that would be interesting because they've never really done that. Because I mean, there's things that have come from Brian or Brian's people, Brian's camp and his circle and whatever, like Beautiful Dreamer. Um, you're forgetting Endless Harmony. But was that did that actually come from the Beach Boys. Yes. It did? Yes. Okay, so what the heck are they doing now? Like, well, what is this thing supposed to be? Considering that's the last Beach Boys documentary that's happened since 1998, and considering what was the last documentary that about the Beach Boys before that, well, Nashville Sounds, but that was specifically about the Stars and Stripes, uh, the Beach Boys and American Band. Yeah, which but was they only... did it, but they didn't produce that. No, but they were heavily involved in it, though. Well, yeah, because they did film... 
inserts for it, but... And by the way, seriously, you have to read the article about that from... Uh, it was a recent Endless Summer Quarterly. Good Lord, they had such a fascinating story and what got filmed and didn't get used, what they wanted to film but didn't. Uh, spoiler, they had actually run this past Brian and everything. They wanted to interview Brian at the beach with a keyboard to replicate his smile sandbox thing. Brian loved the idea. He thought it was a great idea. He was going to shoot that. Landy came in and said, I love that idea too, but only if I get to direct it. <laughs> and Malcolm Leo said, no. <laughs> okay. So considering that that was what, about 14 years difference. Now this it's been 25 years since 25 the last be official Beach Boys documentary. Stuff has happened since. Well, in terms of the Beach Boys, what besides 2012 when they put out That's Why God Made the Radio well, they and all each that? Have, well, there have been things going on since, like Brian's yeah, I mean, career. Yeah, but there is... Mike has done stuff, and, well, and Al, of course. And um, I could imagine it culminating with the uh, Grammy thing that happened earlier in the well, year. I mean, hey... I'll watch it. Yeah, and also, I think a lot of people are thinking it might be much more in-depth than, say, Endless Harmony went, like, a little bit closer to a Beatles anthology thing, perhaps. Hmm. Because, let's face it, you cannot properly sum up the Beach Boys in a single, like, two-hour documentary. <laughs> or in a single lawsuit. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> Yeah, let's not go there. That's just gonna. Well, yeah. Too if it is, if it is the kind of thing where it's, it's like, well, I mean, that was the thing with anthology. That, I mean, yeah, in the Beatles story, there is probably a lot of general agreement. But then you have, I love how they showed um, the whole thing about when how they went in the bathroom and herbed up before getting their <laughs> their MBEs and. Paul, you know, there's a clip of Paul insisting that that didn't happen, and then they cut he to said, Ringo. You don't, you don't do that when you're about to meet the queen, and then, that's And stupid. then they cut to Ringo going, I was too stoned to remember. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, yeah, there are things where you're going to have differences of opinion and different memories and things, yeah. so it would be interesting to get different perspectives. And, okay, something I thought of, too, I just thought of right this second that would be a cool thing for a documentary to cover is that, I mean, I, and I probably talked about this on this podcast before, but when uh, something I really loved in Mike's book, when Mike gave a lot more history of the Wilson oh, family yeah, than yeah. we had gotten before. From a remember, different perspective, Because remember, too. Mike is a Wilson, too, yeah. on his mother's side, and- how we had always heard in the past about when... Oh, my when, God. What? No, I'll tell you in a moment. Just when on. the Wilsons came out from Kansas, that they, they camped on the beach. And the way Brian talks about it, even in his book, it's very romantic. Yeah. Like, like it's adventurous yes. and it's wild. And here they came from the Dust Bowl to this beautiful, the ocean and all this Go stuff. Go west, young man. And Mike... He I got love, real. <laughs> well, Mike's kind of like, yeah, they were poor and had like no money and had nine children and they're living in a tent on the beach. and Because they couldn't get a because, house. <laughs> because they couldn't afford to live anywhere else. And 
And it's like, it was very hard scrabble and difficult. And yeah, there might be a, like a little bit of truth in the center that maybe there was a bit of adventure to it. But at the same time, it was pretty harsh and maybe very frightening and and difficult for a lot of people who went west to escape the Dust Bowl. So maybe if like some more of that is covered, because I think a lot of what Mike talked about too is just this hard scrabble existence and how very, very tough Murray Wilson's father was. Mm-hmm. That kind of explains why Murray was the way he was, yeah. that he was beaten as a child and he grew up that way and that may have been the only way he knew how to do things. Yeah, seriously. And even though he could provide a much better life for his children, I mean, yeah, it it explains a lot that has never been explained before. So maybe this might do some yeah, of that. I, mean, I don't know. I can imagine I mean really to do a proper Beach Boys documentary, you got to have a multi-episode version because man their story is so complicated, so and many twists. They're still learning truths. After, well, I don't, I don't want to say truths as if like we've been lied to. It's more <laughs> like figuring out what really happened when we always thought what happened. Like just a couple of months ago, they finally definitively pinned down the date of Brian's nervous breakdown in the airplane. Yeah. Which is not quite the story we had thought it was. Yeah. And spoiler alert, it was not Carl's birthday. (laughs) And even going back a number of years when Andrew Doe just started doing a little bit of poking around into the whole thing about Al going off to dental school and getting some real facts and figures and kind of laying out the story because... A lot of what had been considered chapter and verse came from capital press releases and things that were kind of PR media. PR speak, media and oversimplified. Or just kind of wanting to portray a certain story yeah. that wasn't necessary. And, and even the whole Labor Day weekend thing mm-hmm. in 1961, how that's not really that what happened isn't quite what we've been told yeah. all these years. So, and you can't blame people for perpetuating these stories because it's like, it's what oh, they know. And it comes from what you think would be a reliable source. Yep. Like, oh, this comes from a Capitol press release. Well, uh, you know, <laughs> but I mean, we, and I think with some things, especially the Labor Day weekend story, how did the content go into, say, a Capitol Press release? It's what Murray told them. Well, so yeah. Murray created a nice story. So there's a lot of kind of fact-checking and correction that really could benefit everybody. But, I mean, just what I hope from this documentary is that it doesn't just fall back on the same old, same yeah, old. Yeah, exactly. You know, that we don't have the surfer girl from the tammy show oh and then we have they haven't been doing that lately <laughs> when they've been doing but it's just like that we don't have or god help us that we don't have what has happened with so many beach boys things where it's like you have kind of the upward trajectory hit 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 and then pet sounds and then good vibrations and then brian starts to work on smile and then Fast forward like twenty years, yeah. <laughs> or it's like, or it's like, um, Brian goes to bed for like a decade, and then in nineteen seventy six, everybody cared for five minutes, and then where there's 
so much story and history that completely gets skipped over. Like, if this documentary actually gives time to, say... Ricky and Blondie? Well, Ricky and Blondie, just 1969 to 1970, 71, where Brian was extremely prolific Mm -hmm. and doing all kinds of really great work. I mean, just if it gave that period its due... I would be happy and just not perpetuating the idea that when Smile was was put in dry ice, that Brian stopped doing anything yeah. for a very long time. Because that's that's just not fair. And, and we know that's of not true. God, anybody listening to this involved in the documentary, do not try to tell people that Pet Sounds was a flop. It was not. It was it went top ten. So yep. shut up everybody. Yeah, and spawned uh, two hit singles, and well, also God only knows charted very you know pretty well for a B side too. Well, technically, it didn't spawn Sloop John B. Sloop John B came out before, true, true. So, but still, but uh, yeah. So I mean, that is definitely a hope for next year. That if this documentary thing happens, that it's really good, and that Absolutely. it's worthwhile, and that gives us something new, and. I don't know, like, it would be nice to have some kind of fun, fun thing, like how in 1999, we had those little die-cast cars. Like, that just came out <laughs> of nowhere. Cool. Yeah. Like, that was neat. I mean, it's not like it's earth-shattering or world-changing, but it's like we've had such a lack of merch from the Beach Boys world. One thing I do have to say, and this is just a totally unsolicited, I am not getting any money for this, but I do have to say that the Beach Boys official store, they got some pretty cool stuff. I mean, I just got a tie-dye t-shirt that has a retro logo on it. And man, if that t-shirt had been out in the 80s, I would have bought like <laughs> 10 of them. <laughs> it's like, I mean, it seriously, it looks like something from the 80s. And it's super cool. I mean, of course, like most merch, it's overpriced and takes forever to be shipped and everything. But there's still some pretty cool stuff, which, mm-hmm. I mean... I'd rather have that than no merch at all, or merch that's really ugly and stupid looking. So, whoever is doing their merch is, they're adding some good stuff. It'd be nice if there was more, but it's a start. (laughs) All right, so what was this brilliant thing you were just going to tell me? It wasn't a brilliant thing. It was more of a scary thing. And I'll I'll say this before I talk about my wishes for 2024, because I want to end on a positive note. Now, in our recording studio slash music room slash yarn room slash video game room slash home office, uh, whatever else we do in here, um, we have framed some uh, a couple of record cover slicks, and I rotate them every few months because we've we've collected a few now and then. Like we got we got at Beetle Fest here and there, and I noticed just now that uh, one of the slicks we have is the cover from Brian's 88 album and right above it is a promo slick from George Harrison's last album, which was called brainwashed. And I'm thinking, Oh my God, this is the most unfortunate combination up here (laughs) given the circumstances. Yeah. 
Oh boy, yeah. I I th- I think maybe tomorrow I will uh, do another swap. <laughs> I'll swap at least one of those out. Do you have any requests? We have uh, something new by the Beatles. We, we have a lot of Beatles ones. I think we have I an imagination know. slick. Just tell me your hopes and dreams for the new year. My hopes and dreams for the new year. I mean, to tell you the truth, if we don't get anything, I won't be disappointed. But there's, I mean. I'm thinking in terms of copyright extension, there's not much they can release because the Beach Boys didn't really do much in 74 except tour. Maybe (laughs) maybe a record store day reissue of Child of Winter backed with Susie Cincinnati. I am shocked you did not do a spit take right now because you were drinking when I said that. Oh, God. Yeah, like the world's picture sleeve. The world's worst Christmas song outside of like Christmas shoes and all I want for Christmas is you and a couple other terrible things. But, you know, (laughs) Child of Winter is just, that was just a bad idea. Oh, my goodness. All around. And also, this has been on my next year wish list for many, many years. I wish for. A reissue of the Surfing USA album, either digitally or physically, that uses the correct front cover <laughs> that mentions Stoked and Surf Jam. Yeah. Why do they keep using the 80s budget reissue that doesn't list those songs, even when it contains those tunes? Capitol Records, Irving Azoff, Beach Boys, anybody involved listening to this We have a decent copy of that album cover. We will lend it to you for a photo shoot if you want. (laughs) Just for the love of God, use the correct album cover. That goes for the documentary, too. If you're going to use the Surfing USA album cover, unless you are talking about the budget reissues that are missing tracks, use the correct cover. Is it so hard? Maybe that's what the documentary will be about. It'll be about the budget reissues. Oh my god, I would I would go to a movie theater to watch that. <laughs> or like those crappy cassettes that you could buy at the grocery store <laughs> oh back my in the goodness. 80s. Oh, like uh this one that was called Surf's Up. That I remember somebody online saying that his wife excitedly presented that to him for Christmas, thinking that it was the surfs up he had been looking for on this on CD when it wasn't the the uh, 1991 Caribou CD, but this cheapo compilation that had like Surfing USA and Surfer Girl. And they called it Surfs <laughs> Up. <laughs> oh my! Oh goodness! But yep. Or they'll do an, a, a deep dive on the Beach Boys for all seasons. Or, wow, great concert. I had for all seasons <laughs> on cassette. I might still have it somewhere. Oh, I'm sure you do somewhere. Yeah, on Pear Records, yep. which also gave us the Monkees Hit Factory. Oh, God, that thing. <laughs> I know they did a Jan and Dean compilation, too, that had like four songs per side. <laughs> Four songs per side, two records set in a single sleeve, not a gatefold. Oh, my. Uh, But, yeah, I don't really have a heck of a lot of wishes for 2024. 2025, I might have other wishes, considering that it's the 60th anniversary of perhaps the most prolific, productive year in Beach Boys Mm. recorded history. Perhaps. Yeah. And, of course, in 2026... Ooh. We got another Pet Sounds anniversary. I'm not getting another reissue know, of Pet Sounds unless they, unless they give us something we don't already have. Like, like, say, Brian rapping about L.A. smog. 
Or how about like how about like Banana and Louie action figures? Oh man, that'd be amazing. Or if they reissue the Brian doll and you could get a little Banana and Louie to go with oh, it. Oh yeah. <laughs> but hey, the future does look bright for us Beach Boys fans. So hey. well, I mean, the fact is, again, even if we nothing comes out, we just have so much. Go back and listen to the thousands of songs you have on your iTunes and. <laughs> We have we have a lot. Yeah, including a brand new copy of Surfer Girl on vinyl that I bought for free, pay only shipping. So hmm. we did have a vinyl. Well, did we still do have a cut? Two years ago, I made the unfortunate discovery that we did not have the Surfer Girl album on vinyl. So I went to a record store called Hoarders and looked to fill in some missing pieces, and I found a really good copy of uh, Surfer Girl in mono for five dollars. So. Yay. Now we have it in stereo, too. So, woohoo. And having said that, why don't we call it a day for this particular episode? Number, was it 19? Well, more like night. It's, remember the day. Oh, day, good remember grief. Remember the night, night. Copyright, Johnny. Yeah, I only did like a second of it, so <laughs> I'm okay. Well, also, it's a good time of year to say copyright, Johnny, given the uh, source of that phrase. Yes. Even though it's not related to the Beach Boys, but who cares? It's fun. So yes. anyway, I've had fun talking with my wonderful wife, Lisa. Yay. And um, I guess I'm Sean. So. And I'm still Lisa. Awesome. And uh, we'll talk to you again uh, sometime in the future. And um, future events like this will affect you in the future. <laughs> Bye. Thank you for listening to the Tune X podcast. Please leave us a review at Apple Podcasts or iTunes. You can hear us on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Amazon, Google Podcasts, and just about every other provider out there. If TuneX isn't on your favorite provider, please let us know. You can email us at tunexpodcast at gmail.com. Our website, which includes the show notes, is tunex.fab4it.com. Fab4it is spelled F-A-B, then the number four, then I-T. Feel free to connect with us on social media. TuneX is on Facebook, and we're also on Instagram and Twitter, both under the handle of TuneX Podcast. Our opening and closing theme, Melody 10, was written and performed by Scattered Frog. All other music and sounds used in this episode remain the properties of their respective copyright holders and are used for the purposes of commentary and review. No infringement is intended. We'll see you next time, friends. Until then, don't, don't back, back down, down from, from that, that wave. wave. If it doesn't subside, I'm going to call the cops. Let's have some fun. Let's invite our friends to a Polynesian winding. If you've ever been to a used record shop, estate sale, or a goodwill store, you've likely seen them. Records of motivational speeches, instructions on how to set up your state-of-the-art 1972 stereo system, gospel quartets that inexplicably have five members, and learning to belly dance. Forward, right, backward, left. Who buys this stuff, you've undoubtedly asked? Well, to answer your question, I buy this stuff. Gentlemen, get the thing straight once and for all. The policeman isn't there to create disorder. The policeman is there to preserve disorder. I'm Sean, and I have a weird record collection. 
If you've ever had the slightest curiosity about these vinyl oddities but weren't curious enough to part with your money, have I got great news for you. I parted with my money so you don't have to part with yours. My Weird Record Collection is a podcast that discusses these interesting albums, complete with samples and, whenever possible, the history behind these wonders of wax. While I'm at it, I'll also go over some general record collecting tips and tricks with you along this crazy journey. Keep an eye out on your favorite podcast provider starting in January 2024. In the meantime, you can follow me on the various social media platforms under the handle My Weird Records or search for My Weird Record Collection on Facebook. So subscribe to My Weird Record Collection. It's sure to get a million downloads in January. And exaggerate your mouth movements.